I want you to open up your Bible this morning in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We've got two short sermons around the series that we started about what we know. Things that John say that we as children of God, as Christians, are certain about. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, isn't there? Some talk about a financial crisis. Some talk about the house market slowing down. Some talking about diseases and everything that can come. There's a lot of talk about earthquakes. What is happening to the world? What is going on? Uncertainties. You and I do not know what tomorrow holds in for us, do we? There's that man who woke up Friday morning, he went to his business, and by the night time he was not with us anymore. Because a madman with a mad religion came out and thought it was cool and it's great to walk into a city, put his car on fire and stab somebody to death. I wouldn't want to say it's a madman. I would say it's a crazy religion that pushed people forward to do these kind of things. That brings uncertainty, isn't it? That brings uncertainty. It challenges our peace. It challenges every single thing. Yet in the midst of all of that this morning, we have John, the beloved apostle, the pastor of this church, the, our pastor as well, writing us back from the history into the future, and he talks about certainties. Things that we can certainly know. And I love certainties. I absolutely love it. Love to know that things are so. We heard what he said, that Jesus is the Christ. That's a certainty. I believe in that with all of my heart. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. Not only do I believe that, but I believe that He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He said to us that this I write to you that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know that this morning, that you have eternal life? How wonderful is it to know this for certain that anything can happen to this body. Like that man, you can wake up tomorrow and by the night you are, this body is there no more. They will put it back into the, in, into the ground where it came from. But we live on. We live on after this life. Yes, brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's why it's important to keep on doing what you're doing, Glenn. Keep on doing what you do. We need to share the gospel. Praise the Lord. Hopefully. We can't foresee what God thinks, but hopefully He's in heaven. I saw on the news that Anne was there as well, giving us support, which is good. We need to reach out, friends. It's not just all about us. You're not interrupting at all. You're not. It's all part of it, brother. So we know about these certainties, eternal life. Then He came to us and He says, this is what we know that if we pray to God, what happens? Come on, you tell me. He hears us. A child of God, this is what you know that God hears you. 
But we also had the distinction in that message last week that it's not praying for our own pleasures, but to the will of God, the decretive will of God. We have to pray according to the will of God. How can you pray according to the will of God if you don't know the will of God? So we need to do some work on our own, don't we? We need to understand and find the will of God. So let's look this morning at another certainty that John is talking about. 1 John chapter 5 verse 18. He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Wow. Listen to those words. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Who's the wicked one? So he says here that you are kept and then he says that the wicked one do not touch him. And we'll talk about that. It's important things this morning that we need to understand and know. He says we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who knows that that is true? The whole world lays under the sway of the wicked one. We see the evidence of that in the behavior of the world. That's how we see it. Let's thank the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And though I say nothing, Lord, I praise you that your word has been read in public. Help me this morning, Lord, to preach this sermon. Help me, Father, to portray your words in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about we know how a Christian should act. We know this. We who are sitting in this place and you call yourself a child of God, we know how you and I should act. And this is what John writes to us about. How do we act? And he gives us this scripture verse. He says, we know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. Now that is a big statement, wouldn't you say? I mean, if I go around and I ask you, you see other Christians, do they sin? Of course they do still sin. But he says here they do not sin. So is John wrong or what is he trying to say? We need to understand what he's trying to say. We need to unpack this and we need to get it to build our faith. Because this is not the only time that John said this. It's not the only time. In the letters he said it before. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 6, he said, Whoever abides in him does not sin. You see that? It's the same thing. Abides in who? Abides in Jesus. He says, whoever abides, the word abides there means is you've got your dwelling place in Jesus. What happens? You do not sin. He does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. What is he talking about? What is John trying to tell us? Not trying. What is he actually telling us? And then he said in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, he says, He who sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And you should shout hallelujah. Come on, we can do it better. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He destroyed the works of the devil. But he lays this foundation. He says, he who sins is of the devil. May I ask you this morning, do you want to be of the devil? But he's clearly saying that these people who are sinning. Now, let me ask you, is murder a sin? If you murder somebody. 
the Bible says it's a sin. So if you murder somebody, it's a sin, then you are of the devil. No one else. If he's, for this purpose, the Son of God, you see how he uses the title Son of God, which reaches out from heaven, from above. The Son of God was manifested. He lived amongst us that he might destroy the works of the devil. Where was that done? At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. That's where it happened. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. This is, this is really, really hard statements he's making here. And think about this. Because I know as you and I sit there and you call yourself a child of God, you go, but you know what, I did sin. In the last week you might have sinned. And, and the week before I might have sinned. And guess what, maybe tomorrow you might sin again. But, this is, and, but John says, well, wait a minute, you, you, you does not sin. We need to understand what he's trying to tell us here. For he, for he says then, for his seed remains in you. Whose seed is that? Jesus Christ's seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. He says, they does not sin, they cannot sin. So what sins is he talking about? He is talking about occasional sins and not habitual sins. That's what he's talking about. Because I'll tell you, dear friends, if that is the case, then I fall short. I'm not a perfect man standing in front of you, and you by far is not perfect. And he's not trying here to bring in a doctrine of a sinless perfection. And I will never preach sinless perfection. Because as we are living in these bodies, we are still in this world. The temptations of the world is still in this world. And these bodies are still from this world. Until this body has been replaced by a heavenly body, and that only happens after you die or the rapture takes place, you will still be in this body in this world. Listen to Paul himself when he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? Who? Only one can, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, now listen to me this morning. By far, and I want to just state it at the start of the sermon, by far I'm not preaching and allowing and saying it's okay when you sin. I'm not saying that. Because Paul says the same thing. He says, do I now say because we have grace that we can sin more so that grace may abound, so that grace can become bigger and more for us? By far not, Paul says. And, and I'm on the words of Paul. But John is not saying sinless perfection and Paul says you can sin. It's not allowed. Let's just be frank about this. But the distinction here this morning is about the occasional sin that do happen versus that habitual sin. You know what that means. You know you do it wrong, but you, as a habit you keep on doing that sin. So what is he then saying here? He says that when you get a new nature, that habit changes. That is what he's saying here. And we're going to unpack that. You see, the Christian do not keep themselves saved, but we can keep ourselves out of the snares of the devil. That's what we can do. You don't keep yourself saved. Who keeps you saved? The Holy Spirit and God and Jesus. If you are saved, you're saved, my friend. 
Now, in the previous verse, he says in verse 17, he says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. And as you listened last week, we touched on this as well, where we said, look, there is this, the death he's talking here about is not the spiritual death, it is a physical death. This is what he's talking about here. And unrighteousness here means to live a life not acceptable to God. This is talking about that habitual sins you do. You know you shouldn't do that, you keep on doing it. But you say you are saved, you've got a new nature, but your habit shows us that you haven't living in that nature. And this is what happens. Uh, he says, and there is a sin that not leading to death. We see that a lot of times sin leads to death, physical death. Let me give you one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 26, that's the passage every time we read above the table. But you see, the thing is, the problem is we only read the first parts of this. We only say that in the night that he, he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup, and uh, the bread and the cup, and he gave it to his disciples. But Paul writes further on. He says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup at the communion table, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood of the Lord. What does it mean when he says in an unworthy manner? What does he mean? He means unrighteousness. It's your manners. It's your habits. If you come to the Lord's table with these sinful habits and you take the bread and you take the cup, what are you proclaiming? You are proclaiming by taking the bread and the cup that yes, Jesus Christ came and He took my sins away. And by taking that, you are remembering that and also you are partaking by saying, that's what happened to me. Now He says when you come to the table and you've got these habitual sins that's coming on, these sins, my friend, will lead to a few things. It will lead to sickness and even to physical death. That's what He's saying. It's a serious message, isn't it? Now, let me just say why now, before I go any further. I am by far not saying that Christians who die, all of them sinned, and now because of that sin they die. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. You have to make the distinctions here as well. He says, therefore, they who eat this in an unworthy manner will be guilty of what? The body and the blood of the Lord. Friend, let me tell you, brothers, sisters, you do not want to be guilty of the body and the blood. No, no, you want to be peace through the body and the blood of Christ, okay? Now he says in verse 28, But let a man examine his wife and his husband and his children. Is that what he says? Now let a man examine his neighborhood. Oh, you know those people I'm living. Man, I'm just looking over to the neighbor. Oh, man, I'm not like him. He is just so bad and so worse. Oh, have you seen that guy's working with me? And I'm not like her. No, no. He says, let a man, once you come to this table, examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. You see, Paul is so serious about this that he repeats himself. He says twice in that passage, in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks a judgment to himself. Now, look at the distinctions here. He says, who eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty of the blood of the Lord. And then, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, what is it happening? He judges himself. Because you know yourself. 
And God knows you when you come to this table. You don't have to impress me because I can't do anything for you. The only one who can do any, something for you is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why His name is in there, not my name or the church's name. And then he continues, he says, you drink a judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body, which is the body and the blood. Now look at verse 30 now, he says, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That sleep there is many are dead. I can tell you now, there are some sins people do which causes their bodies to die. And then they come and they say, oh, please pray for me, please pray for me because of this. But you can pray as much as you want. If you're not going to stop doing and killing your body, your body will die. We've got to be clear about this. And this is the sin, the habitual sin that continues on that he is talking about here, John. When he says in the following, he says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. He's talking about that habitual sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now there's three views of a true Christian. Three views in that passage. First of all, he says, He does not sin. You see that? He says, He does not sin. And, and the reason why he says that is because as a new man, we get a new nature. We get a new nature. And this new nature is written to us as Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Remember when Nicodemus came to our Lord there in John chapter 3? He was looking at the miracles. He came to the Lord talking about the miracles. His first words to our Lord was, you must be from God and you must be God because no one can do these miracles. The world is still looking for miracles these days. And what did the Lord say to him? He didn't even talk about the miracles. What did he say? <laughs> That's what he said, in other words. He said, you are deemed for eternal hell. You're right, my brother. But the Lord said it in this way. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. There's no other way out of hell into heaven. There's only one way and you must be born again. Friend, brother, sister, today as you sit here, doesn't matter how I preach, why I preach, you've got to be crystal clear about where you are sitting with your soul. Are you going to hell or are you going to heaven? You say you use that word hell so many times, we need to use it more. Go and see how many times Jesus used it. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. But this man couldn't understand it. He was a grown man. I don't know how big he was, maybe a little bit smaller than me, maybe as big as me. But he goes, how am I going to go back into the womb of my mother? It's literally impossible to do, is it? It is impossible to do that. Number one, she will die and you will die. It's absolutely, but you see what he did, couldn't see. It is a spiritual birth. In John chapter 1 verse 12 he says, He gave unto them the right to become children of God. Not born of flesh, not born of any decision by man, but born from God, from above. And here is the same thing here. We get this new creation, the old things have passed away. You see, I love it when the Bible is so clear about it. The old things, everybody say old things, have passed away. What old things is he talking about? 
He's talking about your old habitual sins. The same thing that Paul, that John is touching up here at the top. You know it's wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts you it's wrong, but you keep on doing it. That's a habitual sin. He says the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, He doesn't say there, you cannot sin. Have you noticed? He said they do not sin. You say, but wait a minute, when you started off, you gave us a scripture verse in uh, John 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 where he uses the word cannot. You see it? He says in verse 9, 1 John 3, 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for the seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. What does it mean when he says cannot? And, and, and this is it. When he says there that uh, he does not sin, it doesn't mean that we cannot sin. You and I, are ever, we are witnesses of that, isn't it? We are witnesses of that. You see, the words here, the two words, and the, and the root words of these two words is the same. In English it's translated to cannot, but the root words is the same. If we have this new creation, this new man inside of us, we do not sin. Why? Because we want to please God. We stop the habitual sins. We stop the the practice of those habitual sins. Um, and also the power of sin is broken in our souls. That's what Jesus did. He broke the power of sin. In Romans chapter 6 verse 6, He says, Knowing this, that your old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If you're a slave of sin, the power lies into the master. But you know what? Our master is not Lucifer anymore. Our master is whom? It's Jesus Christ. And he says here that he does not sin. That is one of the true views of a Christian. The influence over your character and, and your behavior is subdued. He's got no influence over your character and your behavior as a child of God. Now that's how we ought to live. Isn't it right? You say, does that come automatic? Well, I'll tell you this morning, when He, gave you, when he saved us, He forgave us our sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from unrighteousness. But it's not a matter that we cannot sin. He says we do not sin. But we need to distinct with that habitual sin. You see, uh, and, and I want to come back to this point, that does not sin and cannot sin have the same verb tense. The verb tense in there, if you go back into the Greek, and the meaning is a meaning of a, the continual practice of the sin. Now the second thing that he says here, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Or in fact, this is what Peter writes. If we go back to this, he says, they does not sin. Peter writes the same thing. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls, how do we purify our souls? In obeying the truth. What is the truth? The gospel. How do we purify our souls? We obey the gospel. Through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, 
through the word of God which lives and bides forever. Brothers and sisters, I want to show you this morning that when he says in the previous verse, we do not sin, it's because of this new nature that's inside of us. And the way that we get that new nature is we are obeying the truth. In obeying the truth refers to receiving the gospel. And we know that the gospel is the truth. What is the gospel? Jesus died, Christ died on the cross for us, isn't it? That is the short answer. And to keep walking in it, that's what it is when we obey the truth. In other words, we come to the cross, we kneel down, we repent of our sins. He saves us through the price that He paid on the cross. Through His blood we are saved. And what happens from there on? We stand up and we go continue with our old lives? No. We turn away from our old lives. The old habits. And what happens now? We walk in it. We walk in obedience to Christ. That is the biggest problem in the church today. It's not to walk in that obedience. The biggest problem. So you say, what is the gospel? It is the good news. But it's more than that. Let me give you a little bit more this morning. It is a person. Yes? The gospel is a person. Who's that person? Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He's the good news. The gospel this morning is the truth about that person. Do you know the truth about that person? Do you know Jesus? That's the gospel. Not only is it Jesus Christ, it's the truth about Him, but it's to live a life like that person. Are you living like Jesus? To be like Jesus. Are you? This is what He's touching on. You say, where do we get into that? I take you back to our verse this morning. He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God, what does he do? He keeps himself. You see that? He keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. This is the second view of a Christian, how we ought to live. We keep ourselves. The word therefore keeps comes from an act accomplished by an outside agent. The Greek word there means it is an outside agent who comes and He keeps an eye on you. It's like the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. You know, when you got saved, He doesn't let you go and say you're on your own now. He's there for you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus Christ is with two or three gathers in my name. Where is He? He's there present. Are we gathered in His name here? He's here, my friends. The Holy Spirit is here. When He walked with His disciples, He walked with them one day, and He said to them, He turned to them, He says, I'm going to go away. And they all freaked out. They go, well, what are we going to do? He says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to die. And He says, but I'll pray the Father and I'll send you another comforter who will be with you and in you. And this is what this keeps me near. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, He says, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We've got a song like this, don't we? If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you. He will quicken your mortal body if that spirit dwells in you. What will quicken your mortal body? He will. 
He will make you alive. Ephesians chapter one, verse uh, chapter two, verse one. He says, "You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and He made you alive." That's what He did. And here is the same. He says that if you are born of God, you keep yourself. And when he uses the second word, yourselves, it comes from, from the Greek word, eoto, which in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we get a better understanding. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, if you go to the King James Version, that sound mind means discipline. So he gives us discipline. And brothers and sisters, we need to discipline ourselves. Now the question is this, you know, do we then keep ourselves? Do we work hard not to sin? Yes, you have to put some effort in not to do the things you ought to do. You need to make a decision to keep on working with the Lord. We keep ourselves, but He helps us to keep ourselves. In fact, there's two views on this. There's people who's a little bit divided about this in the second part when he says, but he who has been born of God, because born of God, in this translation says born of God. But in another translation he says the begotten of God. And who is begotten of God? In John chapter 3 verse 16 he says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And it's only playing around sometimes with one letter in front of it. Because... In this particular place, when he, he uses the word self, it, you, it leaves out the E in front of it. It says auto. And when he says auto, that refers to Jesus Christ. In this particular case, it refers that when we keep ourselves, you can't keep yourself from sinning without the Holy Spirit. You can't. And I've given you my example about my black forest cake, didn't I? If it's in the fridge, and I absolutely love black forest cake, I had some over the weekend, which I shouldn't have, but I did have some. A little bit too much information there, and I had a little bit too much, Connie. But, but if you've got it in the... It happened to me over the weekend. You know, there was that little piece of black forest cake, and I wanted to discipline myself and say, you're only going to have one slice of that. And I had one slice, and it was absolutely marvelously beautiful. It melted to my... I can have another piece right now, but I wouldn't go there. But there's none left anyway. But here's the thing. It was right there. And I knew there was a second piece. And what kept on driving me? That second piece. And I disciplined my... Believe you me, I disciplined myself. I got two pieces so that I can discipline myself. I wanted to eat the one and throw the other one away. Now let me ask you what happened. <laughs> didn't work did it you can't waste brother you know, that's, uh, that's a good excuse I'll use that I could have but I didn't did I <laughs> but here's the thing friends is, is you know there's discipline coming from myself and there's a help that comes from God now, I'm using that in that particular regard, but when it comes to sin, friends, I'll tell you one thing. If sin blows its full, you, you know, if it comes to you, the temptation of sin. Temptation is not a sin. Sin is the sin when you do that. When temptation comes to you, that's the point where you need the Holy Spirit to help you, to make you strong. And then you need to make a decision, a disciplined decision not to do it. This is what we're talking about here. It's not easy. 
I'm not standing in front of you and saying it's easy. You know. If I tell you it's easy, you'll, tell you, you'll say maybe for you, but not for me. But one of the things for a true Christian is we keep ourselves. In James chapter 1, verse 27, we, we find that James talks about it. He says, uh, he says, this is pure and undefiled religion. What is it? What is pure and undefiled religion, James? He says to us, it is before God and the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. Are we doing it? But then he says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Who keeps you unspotted from the world? You do. You see, here is my big thing about this black forest cake. I should never have had the second piece in the house. Because what did I do? I allowed temptation to come in. Walk away from it. Keep away from it. So two things. The first thing is we, he does not sin. We know about the new nature. We know he talks about this habitual sin. And he says keeps itself. And then finally this morning, the third thing is here. We see that the wicked one does not touch us. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. What happens then? And the wicked one does not touch him. The wicked one does not touch him. Who's the wicked one we said? It's Satan. The wicked one, the devil can't take our salvation away from us. And I want you to understand that. The devil can't do that. He can't take away your salvation. If he could do that, he's more powerful than Jesus. In Romans chapter 8 verse 33, he says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Question mark. It is God who justifies. And if God justifies, my friend, what happens? It's justified. So he can't take it away. You say, but wait a minute, he goes around, he comes to God in Job, and he says, God says to him, where were you? He says, I went to and fro all over the world. Why is Satan doing that? Because he wants to destroy you. Yes, he can come and try to destroy you, but he will not be able to take away your salvation from you. Because it's God who justifies. And Satan is not more powerful than God. In verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or short? What will keep us away from the love of God? Nothing. You are born from above. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is what it's coming down to. He can't take away. He can't touch you. And, and the, the notion of touching here is, is to lay a hold of somebody, to have a hold over them. Now he can suppress you. That's what he can do. If you conduct yourself into sin, what happens? The wiles of the enemy suppresses you. It takes away fellowship from God. It takes away fellowship from other brothers and sisters. I've seen it so many times in my life. Somebody's with us in church and, and it's, Hi, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. And they are saved. They are saved. But something happens and they conduct in sin. What happens? They haven't got the freedom anymore to fellowship with God. And John said it already at the start. He said, if there's a fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. If that fellowship is broken down, guess what will happen? You don't want to hang out with the Christians, do you? Why? Because it's going to be a conviction on your life. I know so many people over the years, people that I've preached with and preached for, who these days, if you look at their lives, they don't serve God anymore. And you know what? They actually don't want to talk to me anymore. And I go, what have I done wrong? 
Maybe I don't share my black forest with them. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe I need to get more of that. But, but it's nothing to do with you. You know, when they rejected God in the Old Testament and Samuel came to God and he says, what's going on here? What did, what did the Lord say to him? It's not because of you. It's because they reject God. And here it is where the wicked one can't touch them. He's trying to destroy your testimony. That's what he's trying to do. So if he can't touch your salvation, what can he do? He wants you to lose your credibility amongst people. You come out and you testify to God. You testify to your friends and your family members. And then you do something. You do a sin which is a shameful act. Is, is, is God going to forgive you for that? You come and you fall on your knees and you say, please forgive me, Lord. What will He do? He will instantaneously forgive you because your sins is forgiven past, present, and future. But herein lies the problem. The ones, your families and your friends who saw you do that, they won't forgive you. They won't. They will hold it against you. And next time when you want to come and share to them the gospel, what are they going to do? The devil will allow them, listen, if they are not children of God, the devil will allow them to go back into memory bank and they dust it off and put it in front of you. And they say, who are you to tell us, oh you, oh high and mighty power? See what you have done. You see, for us, for our family and friends, our history counts against us. But for God, it's forgiven. And this is important to know. You see, He would love to touch you. He would love to come and oppress you. He would love to destroy your testimony with your friends and your family. And that's why we have to be so careful. So very careful how we conduct as children of God. You see, this is what we know. We know that we do not sin. Well, He does not sin. And what? We keep ourselves and the wicked one do not touch Him. Before I go over to the last verse, let me just say this as well. And I, I, I've got to go back to the pre previous one, who keeps himself. There's this notion, this notion that I've come across, preaching the Word of God over many years, that people come into the church and they say, look, you've got to live a sinless perfection life. If you do something wrong, oh boy, you know, you're going to be kicked out. And then people live under this fear of failing God. Friends, let me tell you, we will fail God, will we? But He's not failed. Why? Because He knows everything about you already in the next 20 years if you're going to live. You're not going to surprise God at all. And I see some Christians who, who are so afraid of sinning next week. They live by this. Oh, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to do something. Oh, my salvation is gone and I'm good down in the gutters. It doesn't work that way. This is what John is touching on here. He says they does not sin. As long as you come to the new nature, what will happen? The things you ought to, you used to do, you do them no more. And I'll tell you, friends, it happened in my life. You will come to a point where you want to do them, but the taste for it is gone. It's not as fun to do it anymore. So then he ends up this morning for us. He says in verse 19, We know that we are of God. Who knows that? We know this. There's two knows here this morning. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he, he is born of God, keeps himself, and the wicked one don't. Isn't it great this morning to know that the wicked one can't touch you? Oh, let, let, let me just clarify that. Can't touch your salvation? Because he will try, like I said, to destroy your testimony. But how good is it to sit here this morning? Let, let me just say it this morning. 
Do you realize being a child of God, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to if you're a child of God? To God. Who's got power over you if you're a child of God? Who's got authority over you? So if I want to come and do something to you, who's... Whose, whose approval do I need to get God's? I want you to think about this. I'm just going to take a minute here because this, this could be a really revealing thing for, for some of us. So if God is in absolute control of your life, He's your Father, He's the one who's got approval over your life, Satan can't do anything to you until he gets approval from God. Take Job, for instance. Again, he came to him and what did God say? Not Job, uh, Satan. He didn't say, oh, look at Job. No, no, God said, have you, have you observed my servant Job? So God brought Job to Satan's attention. He says, oh, yeah, 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 and I know him. But the problem here is you've hedged him in. I can't touch him. You see? I can't touch him. I can't do anything to him. What did God say? He gave him approval to do what? To take away his possessions. Yet here we sit as Christians and we go, Oh, I don't know what's going to happen with my possessions tomorrow. Maybe there's going to be a financial crisis and I lose everything. Listen, there can be a financial crisis tomorrow, but if God did not allow your possessions to go, nothing in the world will touch it. That's the confidence we need to have. So here you are sitting fearing about tomorrow. My possessions, my possessions, my... You know, you know, they talk about the oil is going to increase and petrol prices are going to go up and, you know, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have enough food there to buy my Kit Kat chocolate, money to buy my Kit Kat chocolate. You worry about that. But if God says, man, I, li- my, you, you, I, I like you to have Kit Kat. I like you to eat them. They can put the price of petrol to a thousand more than that. You will have your Kit Kat if God allows it. I know I'm breaking it down to that point, but I want you to get the, 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 the fact here. Everything that happens to you, is, if you're a child of God, is under the approval of God. That means if you go through a difficult time in your life, listen to me now, you go through a difficult time in your life, and you pray this prayer and say, Oh, long, Lord. We've all been there, isn't it? Oh, Lord, how long do I still have to suffer? Have we prayed that prayer? I did. I, I remember I prayed that prayer. Can I tell you this morning how long? Can I give you the answer? I'm not God, but I'm going to give you the answer. How long, Lord? Until the day that the Lord allows it. Not one day longer. Oh, but I thought you was going to say it's only until tomorrow afternoon, 5 o'clock. <laughs> This is so wonderful. We are His children. And I don't want to have another father than Him. I don't want to have another father than Him. And this is the whole thing about this. He says, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lays under His sway of the wicked one. What does it mean when it means the sway of the wicked one? It's like taking a baby and taking that baby and say, Oh, come on, do, 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 until the baby falls asleep. The whole world is sleeping under the sway of the wicked one. 
But we are of God. We're not asleep anymore. We see these things. We see the attack of the enemy. We see how he wants to ensnare us with temptation and sin. How he wants to come and destroy our, our testimony. We can see all of that. But the world don't see it. The world, they're all asleep. We are so privileged. So I, I just want to say, so when he started off writing this letter, he warned him. He says there's a few things that we know. But then he came out and he says, this is the problem. There are preachers coming into the church. Preachers coming into the church who are false preachers, false teachers. And you know what the false teachers and the preachers will do? They will come into the church and they will say, oh man, you better watch out because you can sin and you will sin. And that's why you need me to keep you in check and balance. But by the way, just pay me down here your thousand dollars and I'll keep an eye over you. That's what they will do. They will come in and they will say that I will keep you and you need to work hard as a Christian to stay safe. That's not what he's saying there. He doesn't say you need to work hard to stay safe. No, no. We are in Jesus' hands. What do we need to do? We need to keep ourselves and look at these things and, and walk away from temptations. And then we know that we are of God. Amen? Do we know a few things this morning? What do we know? We know that if you're a child of God, you do not sin. They does not sin. The sin that counts. To, to, to. But there is a sin that happens. It happens in that church. It happened with Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to them? They came and they lied. And what happened? They physically died. There's a man. There's people in, in the church of Corinthians who kept on doing their sins and God's grace was for them. And what happened? They fell asleep and they died. There's people who are sick in the church in Corinthians. Why? Because they lived a sinful life and they proclaimed to be Christians. And they became sick. Now I'm not saying again that every, if you see a Christian walking it down now, and you go, oh, that's just, he's always sick, man, we better go and talk to him now, because then that's going to sin in your life, you know, you better repent. There are people who's doing that, believe me, there are. But that's not what he's preaching. Pure and undefiled religion. Let's pray.